coming up on today's Totally Football Show. We look back on all the action from the FA Cup fifth round. Wolves, Watford, Millwall, Manchester City and Crystal Palace are through to the quarters. But Derby are knocked out by Knockart and Brentford get a battering at Swansea. Also in the podcast, can a Virgil van Dijkless Liverpool keep Bayern at bay? And will Newport prove to give City a tougher game than Schalke? All that plus Arsenal lose in Belarus, another red card for Ramos and the Icardi derby minus Icardi. It's all coming up in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. There's no James this week, so you're with me, Lindsay Hooper, and joining me in the pod on this spring-like Monday morning in February. There's no sad sufferers in this studio. Uh, Daniel Story, first of all, whose latest book, 250 Days, Cantona, Kung Fu and the Making of Manchester United, is out now, and it's currently number nine in the Amazon charts, I'm told. So you've made top 10, Daniel. It's not bad, is it? I didn't know that, so yeah, good morning. I'll tell you, overall, 41,586. So a little bit of work to do there. <laughs> I mean, if you didn't say that, it could, people could have thought it meant ninth overall. <laughs> <laughs> and now worried which niche category it's ninth in. <laughs> Canton our books. Yeah. <laughs> Claire's loving it. And that voice there is Michael Cox. Morning, Lindsay. James Horncastle as well is back on the show, who hasn't written a football book no. yet, but quite possibly several works of erotic fiction under a pseudonym. <laughs> yeah, Are perhaps. Give us a title. <laughs> It'd have horn in, or something like that. I don't know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that was an easy go-to, wasn't mm. it? Um, but you know, the reason why we put that in, it's, it's speaking of romance... We get to go on to the FA Cup. Uh, there wasn't much of it, really. In terms of raunchiness, it was less Fifty Shades of Grey and more Danielle Steele uh, in terms of weekends. What did we think of the fifth round of the FA Cup? And was it refreshing to see a few different names in the mix for the quarterfinals? Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, moments, I suppose, you talked about Danielle Steele. It was more sort of uh, Daniel James with, uh, <laughs> with that uh, Mbappe-like goal in the Swansea-Brentford game. Incredible searing pace. I, th- I thought that was quite an interesting game in itself with a very young Swansea team. Yeah, I think they maybe had seven players born after 1995, which makes me feel very old. It's making us all um, feel um, Swansea making the quarterfinals of the, the Cup in back-to-back years for the first time since the 1920s, which whatever you think about their own situation, the fact that they've gone down is still something. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the highlights for me. Michael, what jumped out for you from this weekend? I quite enjoyed the Newport game. I mean, City obviously had too much quality in the end, but the first half was was a good battle. Terrible pitch. Newport scored a goal. I always think that's a nice thing for the, you know, home supporters to cheer. Um, and it was quite nice that City kind of they did show their quality and they won it by kind of turning on the class. And I don't think that the home fans kind of mind that kind of thing. They know they're going to lose, but it's nice to lose to a bit of quality. How about you, Daniel? Yeah, I, I thought it was a, a reasonably quiet weekend in terms of what we'd normally expect from the FA Cup fifth round. But then you can't have it both ways. I saw loads of journalists moaning about how bad the weekend was. But then you can't want upsets in the third and fourth round and delight in those. And then kind of be, look surprised when there aren't many big teams or big games in the latter stages. The only shame for me is it felt like those teams who have caused great upsets, Wimbledon beating West Ham's the obvious example, it kind of felt like they got the fifth round and thought, actually we've got business doing the league now, we've done our big upset we're not actually that bothered about going forward. Wimbledon were really limp, Doncaster were really limp against Crystal Palace that that was a little bit of a shame. Uh, well the biggest game of the fifth round is still to come of course, uh, the draw for the quarterfinals will be made after Chelsea and Manchester United on Monday night but here is the current state of play then, we've got seven sides through five from the Premier League and two from the Championships so we'll begin 
with Bristol City against Wolves, uh, Wolves 1-0 winners. There was a great atmosphere here. Um, Cavalero got that goal for Wolves and in the first half they were pretty dominant. Matt Doherty, he was just brilliant, very impressive. Uh, He was getting lots of joy down that right flank and that seemed to be where Wolves were getting a lot of their attacks from. But in the end, they were lucky to hold on, weren't they? I thought Bristol City in the second half, I thought Lee Johnson made some great tactical switches. Um, Marlon Pack, Matty Taylor, the two substitutes, definitely made a difference. So did you think that Wolves were quite lucky in the end? Yeah, uh, the thing that Nuno's done, almost similar to the Watford situation, he has made change or made change for the first two rounds, but he's constantly picked his first choice defence for every round. Actually, Wolves conceded twice, twice against Shrewsbury, uh, drew the first leg 2-2 and won the replay 3-2. But he did it again. He picked that first-choice defence. And Doherty, as you say, stands out so much now um, against lower-class opposition. And he started Raul Jimenez, which he hasn't done in the other rounds. They just had too much for them. It, it, It felt like, although Bristol City did come back later on, it felt like Wolves were kind of holding them at arm's length. Um... And Nuno will look at that, and he's never won a trophy as a manager before, so this is his chance to massively improve his CV, and I think he's probably the one manager from outside the top six, maybe with Eddie Howe as well, that is, will really be talked about for big jobs soon. I, I, when Mourinho got sacked, I thought he might be a decent outside shout for the Manchester United job, because he's everyone looks at the Mendes relationship and thinks that's why Wolves are brilliant, but the improvement in players like Ryan Bennett and Connor Cody and Mac Doherty and... Even players like Roman Sice, who were just kind of jobbing footballers before Nuno came in. Um, he's doing an absolutely brilliant job. The big debate for me is uh, whether Matt Doherty qualifies as a defender in terms of PFA Player mm-hmm. of the Year, seriously, because he's been so good that if you count him as a defender, I think he's a shoe in for that position. Yeah. But the system they play, he's so far forward, he's more like a winger, isn't he? So I, I expect that will be, uh, you know. What, a mark against him? Well, discussion, mark, yeah. It didn't stop Marcus Alonso or something like that. That is a very good point. Yeah, that is a very good point. Well, actually, Wolves now uh, reaching an FA Cup quarterfinal for the first time since 2003. Um, I, I do make it known that I'm a Wolves fan and... Uh, seems like too long to not have been in a quarter final so uh, from that point of view I think the the Wolves supporters will be happy um, there's an argument to say isn't there with Wolves and Watford that they really can just go for this because arguably Brighton Crystal Palace are still in a relegation fight but they know that there's nothing more really that they can do in the league they're safe so they might as well try and get a trophy let's go on to that Friday night game at Loftus Road so QPR nil Watford won uh, Capu scoring and it's Watford's second quarterfinal in four years so not only has uh, Gracia made all of these changes and they've worked they also have that quite recent memory of doing well in this competition yeah, I think they're a really good team, Watford, this year. I mean, they started well, I think, four wins, didn't they? And, and tailed off quite quickly, got a lot of uh, quite unfortunate defeats. But I just really enjoy watching them. I think they're, they've got a lot of attacking weapons. I think Holobas is one of the most entertaining players in the Premier League because he gets booked every game, which is good fun. <laughs> and he's also a great crosser. And I also like this kind of accidental corner routine they did for the goal where they worked about to cleverly, complete miss hit, and then was turned in by... Uh, <laughs> Kapu. But they're a really good team and, and I think they've got tactical variety. They can bring in Deeney and play with a bit more physicality. They can counter-attack. They've got wide players who can come inside. Pereira at the start of the season I thought was one of the best players. Hasn't been in the team or hasn't been in great form recently and they're still going strong. So 
Yeah, I, I'm really pleased that Watford and Palace as well, who I'm sure we'll mention, they're just well-organised teams. And I think, uh, yeah, I hope they do go for the cup because they've got a real chance this year. Holabas, after a match at Vicarage Road, he just tends to walk with everybody, with all the fans, straight back to his car. I thought it was a one-off. But there's a place where all the media park. And I was finished and I saw him and started walking with him, having a chat after the match. And I thought, well, that was, that was quite nice, a bit of a one-off. No, he does it nearly every match. So yeah, maybe he just wants a bit of feedback, but I wonder if he wasn't having such a good game. <laughs> Whether he'd do that. Um, you, you hinted at it, James, that the uh, the big miss at the end of the match, throwing the kitchen sink, uh, Tony Leisner right at the end. Um, and you could see Steve McLaren's face, couldn't you? He was just... Yeah, <sighs> yeah he's in a, under a bit of pressure again, McLaren. It's been a really weird season of QPR. And he started with, I think, five defeats in a row without scoring a goal. Everyone assumed that that was that. He then completely reinvented QPR. They've been brilliant for three or four months. And they've now lost five games in a row in the league again and haven't scored many goals. So it's really odd. It seems it's just kind of happening. Whatever he does doesn't really matter. It's just kind of happening to QPR. But yeah, he's under a bit of pressure again. They're down to, I think, 18th in the championship now. So uh, they're only probably eight or nine points off relegation zone. So he's going to have to be a bit careful again, McLaren. And Daniel, you highlighted Wolves' defence, so really we have to highlight Watford here because six clean sheets in eight games overall and they're yet to concede in the Cup. You really rate Watford, don't you? Yeah, I, 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 I think I wrote a piece the other week. I think they're the best best run or the smartest club in the Premier League at the moment because for so long they were tied to this uh, Pozzo model of Udinese and Granada loans or faux permanent deals and they've they've reinvented themselves their scouting network is as big as anything in the top six it's it's, it's extraordinary what Gracia and and the owners have have done there Uh, and Scott Duxbury the the chief executive who's doing a fantastic job and yeah they just seem to pick up players young players for cheap fees Domingos Kina they got from West Ham for less than a million which is a nonsense into Premier League transfer fee these days Mm. and he immediately hits the ground running they got Ken Seema from Ostersunds he looks good and they make changes but there's so much competition for places in that squad now that it, it kind of gets the best out of everyone because th- th- there's a genuine squad mentality you no no place in the team is safe so if Watford are the smartest run club to coin your phrase uh, what are Crystal Palace 2-0 winners over Donny look very assured in that match I mean they, were, they weren't troubled were they Jeffrey Schlupp's finish sort of highlighted the difference and gulf between the two clubs also Mike Dean Missed missed what two pretty evident handballs, which I think could have made this well. This game I think was already comfortable by some of the other standards of this round, and yeah, had they had a couple of other spot kicks, uh, it would have been very easy for Palace in the end. Mishibachuai, I wondered whether I, I kind of assumed that his signing would mean that you know that would be the difference for Palace and finally solve those goal scoring problems. He's missed two very good chances in his two performances so far he feels like Palace is affecting him more than the other way around at the moment but um, I think they'll I think they'll have enough to stay up they're, they're above Brighton now but it's just they're such an infuriating team because with Zahar they should if they had a striker that could finish and Benteke's back on the bench now then they would I think they'd be top half easy but yeah they're just a infuriating You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power Manchester City next, uh, 4-1 away at Newport. Uh, you mentioned the pitch early on, Michael. Um, did you think that that was one of the key parts of this game for them not getting the goals as early in the game as people were expecting? To a certain extent, 
I think the pitch looked worse than it played, actually. I didn't think there were too many examples of the ball holding up compared to, for example, that Liverpool-Leicester game in the snow or even Arsenal's trip to Bato, where I think the pitch just meant that they couldn't play proper football. Um, so, yeah, it probably did have an impact. But um, I thought also Newport defended well. They're very solid, very compact, defended width of the 18-yard box. City weren't really very good at going down the outside. So, yeah, I thought Newport were excellent, actually. I think, I think look at the XG figures, it was like, Two goals conceded. You know, they conceded a couple of really good finishes from Sané and uh, and Foden as well. So, yeah, I thought Newport were excellent. It could have been so different because Edison pulled off that fantastic save at nil-nil from Tyreek Backinson. It was a header. And I think many goalkeepers would have struggled to save that. So it could have been a different uh, a different rhetoric to this. Yeah, I mean, I think that was the, the big surprise about this game was that it was nil-nil at half-time and B, it was 2-1 going into stoppage time. You know, it's it still felt that there was... There was a chance, maybe, uh, for, for Newport to, um, to to get something out of that game. Um, yeah, Michael Flynn I think seemed to be quite hard on his players by at the end saying, "Yeah, well, we just kind of we just kind of threw it away at the end." Oh, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> what, what do you really expect against this team, which has cost you know billions, billions to assemble? Um, I think he's got a lot to be uh, proud of. I mean, their record in in this competition over the last two years is just pretty remarkable for a club that's what 15th and it's not a one-off yeah and and also when you look at yeah you look at the significance for teams of Newport standing of this competition of of a cup run the fact that you can tie down certain players to contracts that you probably weren't going to be able to 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 give them if you were knocked out earlier the fact that he can add or reward his backroom staff just little things like that which I think are really really important but um yeah I thought I think they were a credit uh, really to themselves. Phil Foden, given his chance again, gets two goals. Which of the two did you prefer, first of all? Second one for me, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. second one. Foden's a, a... I feel a bit sorry for Pep Guardiola. In, I really want Foden to play more and I want him to start Premier League games, which he's never done. Um, but Guardiola's in a very difficult position in that if Foden plays... If he starts Foden in, in any game and he plays well, then everyone says, well, he should be starting every week. And if he play, if he starts him and he doesn't play very well, everyone says, well, that's because you're not starting him enough and giving him enough opportunities. So it's a bit of a catch-22 for Guardiola. But for Foden, he can only take his chances when they come along. Well, and he was probably... I think he was probably the game's best player. And yeah. He certainly what more dealt, can he do? Yeah, he certainly dealt with a pitch. If there was an issue with the pitch, you didn't see it when Foden was on the ball and passing the ball. Yeah. And Pep, I mean, Pep said that, was, that it was a game that was not necessarily suited to his kind of skill set because they were expecting it to be you know, City dealing without the ball with long balls, you know, winning second balls. Um, the fact that the pitch, even though it wasn't as bad as Michael said, the grass was, in Pep's, Pep's opinion, too, too high, so it was slowing everything down. Um, and yet it didn't seem, to stop, didn't seem to slow Foden down at all. And Pep himself has said... The problem is that he's got to compete with Kevin De Bruyne, mm-hmm. David Silva, Bernardo Silva. He forgot Gundogan in this as well. So can you see him becoming a first-team regular or is this just a myth? He's going to have to go out on loan when you've got those sorts of players in front of him. I think he's going to struggle and I think Bernardo Silva's been Man City's best player this season and he can't get a game. If everyone's fit, he can't really get a game in central midfield. He usually gets played on the right. Well, he does a decent job, but he's clearly not a natural winger. He wants to be in the centre. So I think he's got a job on his hands, Foden, to get into the first mm-hmm. team. I think a loan would be good. can imagine him maybe going to someone like Bournemouth, that kind of standard, someone who will you know, develop him technically, that will play him every week um, and he'll probably come back a stronger player. And uh, 
Yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed that hasn't happened this season, to be honest, because he, he's not playing much. He feels like the the canary down the mine of England youth footballers as well, because if you speak to any of his youth coaches at England or Manchester City, he is the standout talent of his generation, effectively, of a kind of five-year age group. Uh, his development at 16-17 was just way beyond everyone else, even way beyond Jadon Sancho. So if he can't make it at, at Manchester City, then... Can any can any young footballer make it at an elite club these days? Maybe he will. As I say, I think it feels like the canary down the mine. If it doesn't work for him at City, then every other young player should be thinking, well, maybe that isn't the place for me. Maybe I should stay at um, you know a slightly less club. Maybe I should go abroad because he's a phenomenal footballer and and he's nearly well, he'll be nineteen in May and he's still never started a Premier League game. Now nineteen's not old, but Jaden Sancho's two months younger than him and he started 21 Bundesliga games already and is kind of ripping up the division so it's a tough ask for him Well I think next we'll talk about two teams um, who really didn't have superstars on show but it it was an interesting matchup AFC Wimbledon Um, their journey came to an end they lost at home to Millwall who Millwall must be one of those teams that people just don't want to draw in this competition because they are so unpredictable Uh, it was it was Wimbledon's 13th defeat at home this season it's not going well they probably would have fared better had they got an away draw in this one Uh, Millwall as well uh, got to the final in 2004 under Dennis wise they've got good history in the competition um and next in the league they've got derby that'll be a good test for them i I just wonder if millwall could be one of the underdogs in this competition that people aren't talking about as much the fa cup record is astonishing um they've got to more since since the start of 2003-04 they've got to more fa cup quarterfinals than liverpool I think there was a stat in one of the papers this weekend that said, I think I'm right in saying it's Manchester United, Manchester City and Arsenal are the only three teams in the country who have won more FA Cup games than them since the start of 03-04. Now, they're helped by occasionally playing in the first and second rounds as a League One team, but even so, they just... They embrace the competition. I think it helps that Neil Harris is their manager and was, as a player at the club, went through some of those cup runs to kind of get it. And now he's a manager who's by all accounts, absolutely intent on doing the same. And they're probably not going to go down this season. So, as we said with Watford and Wolves, why not give it a go? I don't think they're a great team, to be honest. I mean, they beat, they beat Wimbledon in relegation zone in League One. They played OK. I thought Wimbledon had chances to get the equaliser, but didn't. Yeah, they got a great cup record as a, as a club, but I think they're the club everyone would want to draw in the in the next round, to be oh, honest. Oh, really? So you yeah. think this has been like a lucky draw for them so far? Not really tested. I wouldn't, wouldn't say lucky, but I think they're the weakest team left in the competition. So yeah, they beat, probably, they beat Everton, but it was a, a dodgy handball. And yeah, you know. I, th- I thought they're fortunate in that game. Yeah, they're, they're probably the team you want to draw. Maybe not away, but yeah. Well, I, I wonder with bigger fish to fry whether Brighton might be a team that people might not mind getting because despite that lovely goal from Knockart, it does like the, look like there's fractures to this Brighton team at the moment, certainly in their league position and um, current form. What did you think of the performance overall against Derby? Yeah, they were they were they were far better than Derby, who have um, Frank Lampard has bigger issues to solve at the moment. And they've taken Derby taken fourteen points in the last ten games in the Championship and traditionally tail off and they're seventh at the moment and if that happens there'll be big pressure on them because they spent 15 million on transfers this season um but yeah brighton have normally a, a relegation manager says we need to be out of the competition because we need to concentrate on the league hewton reckons that cup form can kind of try and inspire some league form uh, i'm not sure about that but a word for uh, eve basuma who played central midfield for brighton because 
he's not really been used that much. I think he started nine league games. Houston's kind of held him back, but he's he was brilliant on the ball. He looks like a. He reminds you of uh, Wilfred Ndidi at Leicester in that the protection of the ball to all intents and purposes without breaking sweat is absolutely excellent. His passing's good. He's skillful. He's still. Only, I think he cost fifteen million from Lille, so he's you know he wasn't a nobody. But I think if Hutton can play him in the final few weeks of the season, he'll make the difference because he looks really good. In our overview of the FA Cup fifth round at the top, we spoke about the electric pace. Mbappe was discussed as Mbappe-esque. Um, Dan James, Swansea, wow. He took off, didn't he, for that goal and uh, left three defenders trying to play catch-up. Um, I mean, we have already touched on Swansea-Brentford, but very quickly, uh, just your reaction to to the match as a whole, but his performance in particular. Well, I think uh, one of the things that Graham Potter was saying afterwards is that, OK, people are getting carried away about him, but one of the things that's really impressive and like really outstanding about him is that is that sprinting ability um, that he can do that over and over and over again and his physical performance doesn't suffer. Um, he can play at that intensity repeatedly and you know that's something that you know, he believes will eventually see Daniel James in the in the Premier League. He'd also played three games in the last week, um, one of which was away at Ellen Road. Uh, against Leeds where he was expected to be moving uh, in, in January on loan. That didn't happen. Usually for a young player who you know might look at that and think, I can go basically go and play for a team that has a very good chance of getting into the Premier League, he'd be disappointed. It hasn't re- doesn't seem to have affected him. Um, so, you know, again, I think that's something to be you know, pretty excited about. Really. The scouting at Watford was mentioned, but I think really Swansea needs some credit as well because they have been producing great players and they still seem to be finding them even in the championship. Yeah, Graham Potter's done a fan. He's the glue at that club at the moment because it's a it's a club that's, if not in civil war, it's, it's pretty close. The American owners um, have overseen a, a disastrous period of recruitment in terms of buying... Wilfred Bonney and Andre Ayew for basically for the feeds that they, they received for them and they were both awful at the clubs they'd been at and then were awful again at Swansea and they've had to move loads of players off the wage bill it doesn't feel like eight months since Swansea were in the Premier League it feels so much longer than that uh, that they only went down last season because they feel very much like a championship club again now but Potter's doing a fantastic job yeah. and it's a, a difficult place to be at the moment but Potter's somehow bringing through these young kids bringing through players like Dan James and yeah, he's, as I say, he's the glue that's keeping the club together. Well, we'll react to the quarterfinal draw on Thursday's show and next we're going to talk about Champions League. Hi, I'm Rodri Giggs. You probably know me for being related to a famous sports star. That's right, my dad did play rugby for Wales. I've always lived a loyal life, always use the same brand of tea bags, I always drink in the same pub hey, hey, and always support my country. A huge defeat for Wales. Questions will be asked of the Questions will be asked. You see, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Paddy Powers Rewards Club. Loyalty is dead. Live for rewards. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. So mixed results for the English sides in the Champions League last week. PSG outclassing Man United and Spurs putting in an amazing performance against Dortmund. So how will Liverpool get on at home to Bayern? A Bayern side who, by the way, are having a tricky season under Niko Kovac. But they have moved within two points of Dortmund at the top of the Bundesliga after a 3-2 win at Augsburg on Friday. Here's producer Ben and Rafa Honigstein. 
Well, I've made Liverpool slight favourites all along and nothing's really changed, I think, since the draw. You could say that Bayern have stabilised results-wise. Performances, by and large, have been okay. Um, There is more kind of a harmony, at least in relative terms. But the issues that they've had all season with the ball, when it comes to a lack of a real cohesive, visible idea, and without the ball, where they've looked very vulnerable, especially in the counter-attack against pacey teams, those issues are still, still there. And you have to worry a little bit that Liverpool's strength will correspond very neatly with Bayern's weaknesses in a way that over two legs might just be a little bit too much for Bayern. Raph, Liverpool's defence is going to be severely weakened with the absence of Virgil van Dijk, who's out suspended, of course. Uh, how much does that play into Bayern's hands? How much are they using that as a motivating factor? Yeah, I agree that the fact that there is no Virgil van Dijk and no Joe Gomez and perhaps no Lovren either at Anfield it gives Bayern a chance. Uh, it's even more vital now than it would have been otherwise to, to take advantage and to at least get this one away goal. Um, I think if they were to lose you know, a 1-0 or 2-0 type result, then Liverpool's ability to score goals at any given time, especially against an attacking side, would make them huge underdogs going into the second leg. So it's absolutely vital that they get something uh, from a Liverpool team who, of course, are well-rested after their break in Spain, but might just be not quite um, as sharp um, as Bayern, who's sort of been growing into the season a little bit more and have been starting to play football that looks, looks better and looks sort of more efficient uh, in the final third. So uh, there's not much in it. I just fear from a German and Bavarian perspective, that Liverpool's um, forwards will just prove Bayern's undoing over two legs. Is Manuel Neuer going to be back for this one, Raf? Well, Manuel Neuer's had a very difficult 2018-2019, uh, hasn't really gone off to a great start either with him picking up a thumb injury. But he is expected to be um, on the pitch, uh, what kind of shape he's in, just how sharp he is, how match fit he is. We, we have to wait and see, but what we can say from recent experience at the World Cup is that the fears that he'd be sort of rusty after not playing for a while uh, were not borne out. The mistakes have come further down the line when fitness wasn't so much of an issue and he's kind of lost that sense of um, invincibility and infallibility a little bit. Um, maybe that's just kind of a normal regression, but it'd be a good time to go back to the manual Norris standards that we've been accustomed to a couple of years ago. Finally, Raf, Man City are heading to Schalke in uh, Wednesday's big game. Any chance here that Schalke can cause an upset? I can't really see a way um, of that happening. I think City are on a completely different planet to Schalke. And this is, this is a Schalke team who are really struggling in the Bundesliga. You know, at their very best, Schalke... Um, as they did last season, could frustrate teams, could keep clean sheets, could nick a goal. This Schalke are um, all over the place um, in all sorts of different ways. They were the team that everybody wanted uh, from the draw. And in City, they have the worst possible opponent from their point of view. So I think it could get quite ugly. City and Guardiola sometimes struggle to play as well away from home. So that gives some hope to Schalke at least for the first game. But over two legs, I don't see City having any problem getting into the quarterfinals. 
Well, we've heard they're Liverpool slight favourites, according to Rafa. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, I think they're a better team than Bayern Munich. Uh, Bayern have some players out. You look at their starting eleven, Bayern. It's not quite the Bayern of old. They don't have Pete Robin or Pete Ribery. Indeed, Robin's out, and I think Ribery's going to miss the game because he's uh, just become a father for the third or fourth time. I think so. He hasn't really become a father. He's still a father. He's <laughs> even more of a father. Even um, more peak father. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's been sowing those oats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but he's. Uh, but, Liverpool have the better individuals. I mean, I mean Salah and uh, Mane in particular, I think, has been in great form. I mean, Liverpool have gone through a little bit of a sticky patch, but I think Mane is just quietly efficient. He scores goals. He makes very good runs. He's good at pressing. He's just one of the most, um, you know, one of the players that has improved the most under Klopp, I think. He's, he's become a really top-class player. So I'd fancy Liverpool to win over two legs. James, is the big question mark, though, for this one surrounding no Virgil van Dijk? Because he has been so key to Jurgen Klopp's side in terms of organisation as well and everyone knowing their jobs. Is this inviting Bayern onto them? Well, look, I mean, Robert Lewandowski is the the top scorer in the Champions League um, this season with eight goals. um, And they've been evenly distributed between playing at home and away. He's got four on the road for Bayern um, so far this season. You can maybe turn your nose up at the opponents that they had in the group. Um, but, you know, I think that's still impressive and he is a, a world-class striker on his day, whether it be finishing or bringing others into play. Um, so I think that will be a test for Liverpool if Bayern are able to sustain pressure uh, against them, which, you know, I think we've become quite used to Liverpool, in the certainly in Champions League, being able to play for 15, 20 minutes at a intensity uh, that no one can live with. Uh, and certainly the atmosphere um, at Anfield, I know it's it's often used as a cliche, but it, it really is something that I think the Liverpool players draw on um, to, to, play, to play at an even quicker pace. Um, and I, I just think this Bayern side is... Is out of sorts, really. It's it's not. It's it's it. They win games through just individual moments of brilliance. No kind of grand strategy. No sophisticated um, tactical plan. Um, so you know, I think even though they've still got huge names in that Bayern team, um, yeah, Liverpool should should be able to go to Munich for the second leg with a with a comfortable advantage, I think. And Liverpool also have been enjoying this break in Mallorca, warm weather training. We know what it's like when you come back from a holiday slash work. Uh, <laughs> we'll see that with Jimbo when he returns to the Totally Football <laughs> Show next week. Uh, you have a little bit of bounce, don't you, Daniel? You're going to be there at Anfield. Yeah, I really hope that Liverpool go, as James said, those 15, 20 minutes. Liverpool scored 13 goals in three first legs last season, the knockout stages. I hope they do exactly the same because they've... They've been a bit more savvy in the Premier League this season. Deliberately, by design, Klopp sort of said, if we want to be more resilient and we want to have a title challenge, we need to not be this you know, rampant entertainers. We need to be a very compact team. And that doesn't really apply in the Champions League. I think they can do the opposite. I think they can just throw it at, at Bayern and try and win the game in the first half an hour. Because I thought it was interesting that against Bournemouth before their mini break, uh, Klopp started Salah back on the right and Firmino central, which is different to what he's been doing this season and that was obviously last season's plan that was last season's Champions League plan and if you've got Oliver and Kimmich pushing up at fullbacks if you if they can keep Salah on the right and just tell him to stay high up the pitch they could they could overpower Bayern which seems a, a weird thing to say about a team that have reached I think six of the last seven Champions League semi-finals but I think they're there for the taking I hope they do just go at them and don't try and play it savvy because I think the only way Bayern will beat them if it becomes a, a kind of 
a tense, tight contest because obviously Bayern have got some of that Champions League know-how. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, let's move on to the road of least resistance, which uh, Rafa was referring to. He doesn't see much from Schalke. He doesn't see them being a problem for Manchester City. Currently 14th in the Bundesliga without a win in the last four in the league. Um, and do you think it's just going to be quite simple on Wednesday for Pep? I think so. I wouldn't be surprised if they won it to nil and, and came back and had a very easy second leg. Yep, I agree with Rafa. Um, well, they have been caught out a few times, though, City, this this Champions League campaign. You know, Lyon, Hoffenheim, yeah, they've, they've, not they've, without their mistakes. They've been. They've also conceded early goals. Um, that's Schalke's only chance. If Schalke try and attack early on, score a goal and then just shut up shop. Because, yeah, City are miles, miles better than them. They're miles better than most teams they play at the moment. Uh, they've probably got the one team in terms of league form that they'd have wanted in the last 16. The worst team, I think, in the last 16. Um but if if they yeah city have been sloppy away from home and if they do take their eye off kind of eye off the ball slightly then that's Schalke's only chance i think premier league conspiracy theorists out there uh, what would you prefer because you could have manchester city going all guns on quite a few levels to try and get trophies including the champions league so would you rather have them going full pelt um trying to get that momentum in multiple competitions all at once liverpool potentially slipping up against Bayern and having that time to focus on the mm. Premier League. There's well, all these other questions, all these other subplots. It's fascinating at the moment in that I think, I'm pretty sure, both managers, both Pep Guardiola and Jürgen Klopp, would want it this way. Liverpool have got breaks, they've got uh, gaps where Klopp can kind of do his thing, imprint his personality, you know, conjure them all together and do what we know he stereotypically does, which is bring everyone in together and make them feel special and charge them up for these big games. Whereas I think Pep Guardiola is really happy that Manchester City have got a, a really busy schedule because he sees it as just constantly gaining momentum, ticking things off. He's got a second team that is better than 16. His, City's reserve team must be better than 14 or 15 Premier League teams, I'd say. So he can just keep ticking it through. I think he's happy that City have got this really busy schedule because he's gaining the momentum that he felt they lost in December with those sloppy results. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think this has been a good break for Liverpool. It's been 10 days. I don't think teams like having two weeks off. I think if you have more than one weekend off, if that makes sense, mm. players get a bit anxious. They like to be playing games. They like to be, you know, preparing for something specific. And I Do think they when they forget it's just... how to play? Not how to play, but I think when it's just training session after training session, sometimes it can get... Just from what players have said over the years, I think they like having something round the corner to look forward to. Well, James, talk to me next about Atletico Madrid and Juventus, please. Um, now, Diego Simeone signs this new contract. He's been wonderful, Atletico, but this thing that he's been renowned for, being the clean sheet meister, it's just sort of going, isn't it? He's not keeping as many as he used to. Well, and if they are keeping them, it's it's down to the, the goalkeeper, Jan Oblak, rather than, than the defence. Um, I think he has been immense this season. I think what's really curious about Atletico is that for the last two or three years, they've invested a lot in skilling up the team and adding goals. And they still can't really shed the skin from you know what what is the original identity that Diego Simeone imposed on this team. So you know even though they've they put all the money into Diego Costa, you know he's either been out injured or he's gone on long goal droughts. Uh, Morata's come in. I think it's maybe too early. Um, although the superstitious 
Juventus fans, Italian media, always fear the fact of a of an ex-player coming back to haunt you. Um, Juventus did it for them for Sevilla a couple of years ago, so I think there's a bit of wariness there. But look at Atletico; they're in they're in really terrible form. I mean, thirty-four goals in twenty-four league games, mm. and that's with Griezmann, Lamar. Yeah, and the, I mean they won at the weekend against Rayo Vallecano, second from bottom. Um, last 15 minutes, and it's a scuffed, deflected goal from Griezmann, who's who, um, which goes in. I think he's scored half their goals since December. They're really dependent on him. They just seem to be unable to conjure up that kind of athletic kind of spirit. I wonder. I wonder how much of it is is down to this being very much on their minds and being the priority with. The shared history that I suppose these two clubs have in the Champions League over the last five years, Diego Simeone and Massimiliano Allegri, along with Klopp, have been the coaches who've been to the most finals uh, of those who are still working, because obviously Zizou is probably uh, has got his feet up at the moment. This is, I think, the one that has... The, the stakes are highest in this one, because mm. both of these teams feel it's not their time, so to speak. It's overdue. And, and with Atleti, knowing that the final is at the Wanda Metropolitano, you know, I think clearly that is a huge driving force um, for them. I think Juventus go into this game uh, in good form um, and well, have recovered a lot of their best players who you know, have been out injured and seem to have come back in time to get the kind of right kind of minutes in their legs to be good in this game. You talk about that good form, but with them being miles ahead mm. in Syria, is that necessarily a good thing? Because is it competition? Is it the fact that the Premier League is so tight this season that could see us have more success in the Champions League this year because the competition is so tight in league football? Is that one of the things going against Juve, that they're not being challenged enough week on week? Well, I mean, I think if you look over the last um, seven years of this, this run that Juventus have had, when they weren't basically trying to figure out how to win in the Champions League under Antonio Conte and blowing it, under Allegri... It's been the seasons where they've had a huge advantage at this stage of the season, where they've reached the final. It's been it's been the it's been the seasons when they've had a tighter title race, like last year or the year before last, where they they've gone out in the round of sixteen because they've had a little bit too much to to think about. So I think they've pretty much prepared for this. I think this. The, 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 I I wouldn't be surprised if we see Juventus play at a volume and intensity that we haven't seen for the last six weeks because I'm pretty sure this has been everything so I don't think it's a disadvantage I think it's in some respects this is these are the circumstances in which they've actually propelled themselves to finals in the last four years we've also got the we cannot overstate the drive of Cristiano Ronaldo in that Juventus team as well he, he he's doing very well in Serie A but he's kind of bobbing along but it's the Champions League where he will really that, that's why he's here that's why he's at Juventus because he wants to win the Champions League for them having seen them not go so close and not win it he wants to be the difference maker because then he can sell this as his competition he's the record scorer he'll have won it with three different clubs so yeah Messi is still one behind him and everyone at Barcelona is behind winning Messi one more Champions League but do not overstate how just how determined Ronaldo is to win, win it at Juventus this season. I can imagine Juventus scoring with a far post here though. They've done that a lot this season. Mandzukic and Ronaldo both can play up front, both can play out wide. Atletico tend to defend very narrow so they do allow crosses and kind of back themselves to defend the high balls but I think this is the best duo in Europe in the air um, so I think that could be a big factor. Quick mention as well for Real Madrid, uh, Ronaldo's former team. So they lost 2-1 at home to Girona. And that, uh, that meant that they missed the opportunity to go uh, back above Atletico into second. So their league form taking a bit of a hammering. Speaking of hammerings, getting there, Sergio Ramos. 
<laughs> Sergio Ramos got a 20th red card. Uh, everyone knew this. We were waiting. It was like, which one was going to happen first, Ramos or Mike Dean? <laughs> Wasn't it? Imagine if one refereed the other. That'd be. That'd be <laughs> Ramos is, I mean, obviously he's a comedy character, but he got that deliberate yellow card against Ajax last yeah. week too, suspended from the home leg. And then just as everyone assumed that was deliberate, he then goes and gets sent off at a crucial moment of a crucial match. You think, actually, maybe you just haven't got any self-control whatsoever. It's, it's not a La Liga record you want, is it? No, but he, well, it's, I think it, he goes for it. Well, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure he's that bothered. It's Solari's, every time you think Solari's just about turned a corner, Real produced this shambolic, generally home performance in La Liga. I mean, the title has gone now. I mean, Barcelona. What I love about Ramos, though, is he's got 11 goals this season. Uh, and he loves the fact Ronaldo's gone because he gets to take the penalties. And he often just, you know, sort of, you know, is is doing penenkas all the yeah. time. I love that. He's just a, he's gonna be he's gonna be a great Masters football player when he's finished. Isn't he? <laughs> Talking of Spain, uh, I know you saw it on Twitter, Michael. That stat about Leo Messi, where Barcelona had twenty shots at the weekend, and Leo Messi either took or created every single one of those chances. And we like the person tweeting it said, I can't remember who it is. Sorry, but the person who tweeted it said. It, that must be a record. There can't be any team that's had more shots than that in a game and, and one player is at the centre of every one of those. Yeah, and I think almost, I mean, this is quite a geeky point, but almost by definition because not all shots are assisted. So to have 20 shots that are all, you know, or half of them have been created by him, mm. yeah, it probably means it is true. The statos are loving that one. And <laughs> um, This has played right into your hands, Michael, because I know that you're dying to talk about this. Uh, Barcelona, Leon against Barcelona on Wednesday. There's players here that people will recognise from the Premier League, Memphis Depay, but Leon doing so well, they've been a really good team to watch in the Champions League, haven't they? Yeah, they have. I slightly fear for them here because I think they're going to play really well but lose <laughs> because they do have a tendency to leave the back I'd say the open. majority are probably going down that route, to be honest. Like Ajax against Real Madrid, you mean? <laughs> Yeah, a very yeah, similar yeah. kind of yeah, dynamic, yeah. I exactly. Yeah, they, they. I think they're best when they do take the game to the opposition. Yeah, they're excellent. Um, I was at the uh, Etihad and saw them defeat Manchester City, and uh, the combination of technical quality and speed, I think, is something really special. I think uh, Ndombele in midfield is well a superstar already, but I think we'll be joining one of the big European teams probably this summer, and he's the kind of player that I think. Uh, can take the game to Barcelona. Um, but they do miss chances and they do concede goals. So mm. I, I think it's going to be, a, you know, a kind of plucky underdog, but a, a Barcelona victory, certainly over the two legs. Hello, listener. Remember me? I've just popped along to tell you some very exciting news about Monday the 15th of April when we're going to be at Leeds City Varieties Theatre for another Totally Football Live Tickets are now on sale at cityvarieties.co.uk. We're going to update you in the weeks to come with news of who's on and all that kind of thing. So stay across our social media. But the big date is Monday the 15th of April for Toodley Football Live in Leeds. Now, back to Lindsay. Jimbo will be joined by Rory Smith for that live show in Leeds in April and even more breaking news as well. Totally Football Live will be coming to Liverpool's Epstein Theatre on Monday, March the 25th. That'll be Jimbo, Rory Smith again, Sasha Gorinoff and less excitingly, although I think the star billing, producer Ben. You can get your tickets to uh, to that at epsteinliverpool.co.uk and also keep checking as well at The Totally Show on Twitter. Also, The Totally Football Show is on Instagram. We'll put more details up there, so please do come along. Well, Michael, you went to go and see uh, Women's FA Cup action, didn't you? Uh, Chelsea against Arsenal on Sunday? 
Yeah, it was it was a good game. I thought, um, you know, as we've discussed, the the um, the Sunday fixtures weren't weren't great in the in the men's FA Cup. I thought this was the most exciting fixture of the day. Shame it wasn't on television. Actually, I think it was only broadcast yeah. on Facebook because I think that probably would have got quite a good audience. But yeah, it went along. It was a good game. Um, Chelsea went ahead early. Arsenal had a spell of pressure, but. Chelsea just more clinical in front of goal. Uh, Beth England scored two good goals and, and there was another one from range that was a bad goalkeeping uh, error, to be honest. But yeah, it was a it was a good game. And when we're talking half-term week, one thing that they do get fed up of in the men's game is the prices. So how much did this cost you to get in? Uh, it was £6, although if you'd uh, bought it online, then you could have got in for £3. There you go. But I didn't plan Cheap ahead. Cheap as chips. In yeah. fact, you've got money left over for chips. Yeah. Uh, I saw as well, and I see this firsthand when I go and cover women's football a lot, uh, the players 20 minutes, 25 minutes after full time were still out there meeting fans, signing autographs. It's that sort of access, isn't it, you get as well? Yeah, it seems to be good. They seem to be good with the media as well. They seem to do interviews with press almost as they're walking off, which is, uh, you know, as, as you know, is, is if you want to go along and cover it, it is a bit of an incentive if you know that there's going to be, you know, access and you're not going to have, you know, press guys between you, etc. trying to make sure people don't say stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good vibe. Well, we do our podcast, The Offside Rule, Kate, Haley, and I, and we've gone and sat down with Casey Stoney. So the next oh. one that we're releasing on the 1st of March is with her, new Manchester United manager. A lot of people don't realise how much coaching experience she had prior to that job either. Um, she had been assisting Phil Neville before, but had, had actually been doing coaching roles throughout her career. So uh, really interesting to hear from her. And they seem to be, one, attracting the crowds. So there could be a bit of a myth about the attendances because they've attracted a load of people now that they've moved to this um, in line with the men, the winter fixtures. Mm-hmm. But they're saying that could that could be a bit cloak and dagger because Manchester United come into it, have made the figures go up. Yeah. But um, also just from her point of view I think I think they've shown that they're the big contenders aren't they if they come into the top Mm. flight that will be huge for the top flight you know I know there was a little bit of at the start of the season there was a little bit of almost uh, kind of patronizing because they won the first game by a huge margin I think against Sheffield United or is it Aston Villa I can't remember which um they won the yeah they won the first game by a huge margin and but actually since then that hasn't been the case it's been a lot more competitive um but yeah Manchester United going to that top division will inevitably create a buzz. They, I, I they really... beat Leicester City something like seven. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I think it was like twelve or thirteen their first game of the season. Yeah, and that obviously makes people think people want competition to to you know to take interest out of it. I really hope and I really think that the Women's World Cup this summer will will, will actually be huge. I really do. I think because there isn't. I know there's the under twenty one Euros, but um, other than that because we had that huge footballing event of last summer that everyone got on board with, I still feel like that's still behind. You've got the Nations League, which starts on, I think, finishes just before the, the Women's World Cup. No, no, the Sunday, the fir- England's first game of the Women's World Cup is England-Scotland, and then that evening is the Nations League final that right. may feature England. I'm not saying it will feature England <laughs> in case our opponents want to use this as some kind of motivational <laughs> tool, but it could be a great day. I well, do yeah. I do agree with you, Daniel, though, about the World Cup in terms of standards as well. What we're starting to see is that the women's game has been professionalised for a couple of years. You know, Manchester United first mm. 
first season being professionalised. We've got a lot of talent coming in from from abroad as well. Um, so at that World Cup, there'll be more familiar names for people if they do watch women's football in this country because a lot of them have been harvesting their talent here. But as well as that, I think the game going professional, you are starting to see the standards. I mean, goalkeepers used to get a lot of stick, but you are seeing some tremendous saves mm. now. And I think those standards are getting higher and higher. So um, hopefully it will be the competition that also, draws I mean, people in. Let's not pretend that women's football is doing anything other than having to fight the tide of history. It was, yeah. this, is, this was a sport that was banned for 50 years uh, by the Football Association, which is, you know, you hear people say, oh, the, the goalkeepers aren't very good, or oh, the standard's not very good. And I think, well, yeah, but where do you think men's football would be in this country if, if people literally weren't allowed to play organised football for 50 years? Well, and, and also the wage would, disparity. I yeah. mean, is there any other sport in the world where the England captain for women versus men would be, I don't know, a hundredth mm-hmm. of the men's? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, as I say, I really hope that... Um, I guess it's on the BBC, isn't it? The whole, the whole tournament. Well, England's uh, yes, they games are. are they're, yeah. they're dedicating themselves to saying that they will have every single Which is England absolutely brilliant, match. Yeah. And whilst we're on the women's game, I watched this on, I think it was on Sunday lunchtime. There was uh, Juventus against Milan, Ennio Lucos Juventus, which was a top of the table clash. I like how you're calling it Ennio Lucos Juventus. It's like Frank Lampard's Derby Council. Frank Lampard's Derby. But no, I mean, Ennio is up front with a girl called Barbara Bonasea, who will be playing for Italy um, at the World Cup. Uh, And both of them, I think, have got 10 goals apiece. Anyway, um, Bonasea scored both goals in a 2-0 win, which sent, I think, Juventus back to the top of the table. But it was really tight between Juventus, Fiorentina and, and Milan. So that was a massive game, given top billing on Sky Italia. It's the sort of, I think it was the 12.30 uh, kickoff. So it was it was the kind of, before the, you know, the, the Serie A games um, started, in the men's football, that was that was that was served up first and foremost, and given given all the kind of top billing. So, yeah, that's that's again fantastic to see. Um, mm. You know, any going abroad and playing for a big club like Juventus, which have all the kind of big training facilities that the men have, um, and and with the possibility of winning a league title. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, likewise with Tony Duggan, Barcelona, mm-hmm. Lucy Bronze and Izzy Christensen, Leon. Um, must mention as well, this all started off because of FA Cup fifth round talk. So let's, <laughs> let's talk about the uh, the other results in that for the women. Uh, Man City beat Spurs 3-0. Man United put three past London Bees and West Ham uh, absolutely tonked Huddersfield 8-1. Those scorelines are quite familiar sometimes in women's football, um, which wasn't the biggest result of the weekend. We always come to you, James. What happened in Series C? Ah, so, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, this is actually quite a uh, sad, quite a sad story. Um it's it's about Propiacenza. Um, um and they were playing Cuneo and Propiacenza have had some real financial uh, difficulties since November and they've had to forfeit their their last 3 games and if they were to forfeit another one um they would be thrown out of the league which has happened to another one of uh, of, of the teams in Serie C this week Matera um who are no longer in existence even though Matera is the current European capital of culture um and so Piacenza had essentially no players no coaching staff no physios <laughs> And yet they, they put together a team of seven players, which is um, the least, the, the minimum that you can field. Um, and you know, with kids from you know, age between like 17 and 19, one of whom basically had to sign on not only as a player, but as the manager of the team. And they were, what, 15 nil down after half an hour. Uh, the game ended um, 20 nil, uh, And just absolute 
um, disgrace that it was even allowed to happen. That because, wasn't even allowed at my school. Well, yeah, I mean, also just just think of these kids, just how humiliating uh, that must be. I like that kid called experience. kid called Defendi scored five in the first half, which is. <laughs> And anti-nominative determinism, which I enjoyed. And also a, a, a player called H. Canis. I thought maybe Harry was sort of moonlighting, getting back to full fitness against kids. But yeah. Well done, he's only 17. Yeah. Is, is that not... I think that was Rodrigo Defendi who oh, may, may have even spent time at Spurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, who was taken off after scoring, what, five goals. Um, yeah, I think... It, I think it, the figures. Yeah. But no, I mean, uh, the Italian Football Federation basically came out and said, oh, this is an insult, to, an insult to sport. It's the last farce that we will see. It will not be the last farce. These things will keep happening. Yeah, I just really feel sorry for, for the, the players who had to go through this horrendous experience, which was you know, lived on social media by people far beyond Piacenza. Um, has become a, a big big story because of that. That um, is the thing, isn't it? You cannot escape now. Social media means everyone will find you. You will never live that down. <laughs> and if you're Arsenal, Arsenal Fan TV will find you. Uh, brings us back round to Europa League. I mean, the, the fact that <laughs> I had to try and do this somehow. Yeah, sorry, We've got yeah. to whiz through. Um, <laughs> thanks, Daniel. So basically, uh, Bate Borisov, winners 1-0. They lose in Belarus. Um, how worried are you, Michael, about Arsenal's away form? Well, you know, no shame in losing to the 17-time champions of uh, Belarus. <laughs> uh, yeah, they didn't play very well. I thought the pitch was terrible. Arsenal started well, but once they went behind, they, they just didn't really offer anything. The The only real um, source of creativity they've got is Kolasinac overlapping. He created their three best chances. And you kind of think if you're Bate, you can you can focus on that and um, and feel relatively comfortable. It could be tricky this game for Arsenal. There's also the slight issue with the kickoff time. It's six o'clock or five fifty-five, I think. Yeah, um, it's always that five minutes, isn't it? You always join it five minutes in, and there's a goal being scored or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Arsenal have been quite unhappy with that kickoff time because obviously it's a pain to get to from work, um, and it is a, it is a ground. I mean, it's six. You know, it won't be sixty thousand people there, but you do need a bit of time to get to that ground. Um, so I think the atmosphere will probably be quite. Bad. It will probably be, I guess, twenty five, thirty thousand, and there will be kind of murmurings. And if Arsenal start badly, then it could prove a difficult well, evening. There is a McDonald's nearby. Should Cleb and, and Co want to you know celebrate by having a Big Mac again? I th- wasn't it a Burger King? Was it Burger? King? I think it was a Whopper. Yeah. How different are things under Emery compared to Wenger? Because when you see six defeats in 13 since December on the road, and then you look at that result, seventy seven percent possession for Arsenal. Just three shots. I, I just think that this is going to take time. And I, I'm not saying that Unai Emery is, is definitively the best manager Arsenal could have and definitively that is the answer. But having appointed him last summer, I, I don't see how supporters thought, given the lack of resources and particularly lack of resources in comparison with other teams above them at the moment, um, how anyone really thought it was going to be a huge, huge difference. It, Pep Guardiola in his first season, for example, at Manchester City, finished fourth in the Premier League with City with a far, far better squad than Arsenal had and also, I think, against uh, with less competition within the top six. And yeah, in his second season, they were far better and people were doubting Guardiola and saying, well, maybe he's not the guy we thought he was. But these things take time, if you, certainly if you haven't got any money to spend. I just, they're not perfect and they are still vulnerable away. But you look at their starting defence, given the injuries they've got, and it's probably the, 
10th or 11th best defence in the Premier League. They're just not very good players, I don't think. Well, Lacazette will be sus- uh, suspended for Thursday's return. Um, this has to be a main route for them to get Champions League football now. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's probably partly why Emery came in, because he had such a good record in the Europa League, having won it three times. I think they will get through this, but they've got to be careful defensively, uh, particularly at set pieces. I mean, that's really how Bate will threaten. Uh, the, the lad Stashevich, I think his name is the left winger. What's <laughs> funny about that? That's I thought name. his name was the lad there. It's like the lad Stashevich. <laughs> the, the lad Stashevich has got seven assists in seven Europa League games. Plays on the left, cuts inside onto his right foot. He's got a really good delivery. I think he's about 34, so he's not the most mobile player. And you can say the same for Alex Lepp as well. You barely run anymore, but still a very good passer. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a gimme this, whereas it should be. I think Emery would have been hoping to have won 3-0 and then can play the kids, but he's going to have to play a strong team now. Well, one of the clubs that could go on to win it is uh, London rival Chelsea, isn't it? I mean, they, they beat Malmö 2-1. Uh, Giroud scoring. You're a fan of Giroud, aren't you, Michael? Yeah, I like his link play with Hazard. He's lovely, yeah. yeah. And on that return game on Thursday, is this going to be a formality? They'll go through now with that 2-1? Yeah, I'd expect yeah. so, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's enough of that then. Yeah. We'll leave Chelsea there. Uh, some other big stories from the first leg. Celtic lost 2-0 at home to Valencia. Um, that leaves the whole debate about Brendan Rodgers. What does he do next with his life? Maybe we haven't got time for that on this show. Uh, more on that in the Totally Scottish Football Show, which will be with you on Tuesday morning. Uh, Frankfurt, um, who Rafa fancies to go all the way. Did not know this, actually. This has just reminded me. He said uh, they drew 2-2 at Shakhtar, uh, despite being down to 10 men for 80 minutes. So if he's tipping Frankfurt, maybe I should listen to that one. And Inter won 1-0 at Rapid Vienna. So that was without their now former captain, Icardi. We've got to talk about Icardi. The Icardi derby without Icardi. Come on, explain well, he was there. He just wasn't in the squad. He wasn't playing. He was. Is he uh, in a huff about not being captain? Well, I would be in a huff if I'd been uh, stripped of my captain's armband. I find it pretty humiliating going into training. Mind you, I would, I would probably feel the same sense of shame walking into work, um, having you know had to listen to my wife basically complain about my teammates and wondering what they'll think of me. Um, but yeah, I mean, she appeared on um, TV last night after the game. She she went into uh, uh, the studio of this TV show called Tiki Taka, which is. She, appear, she appears on it every Sunday and um, yeah, she gave a very, uh, very moving interview in which she broke down in tears uh, and you know, wants, wants to see Mauro back uh, for Inter because Inter is not only a big family, it's their family as well. So they do, they do seem to be very much kind of um, uh, looking to reconcile in that uh, a lot of the social media, which has usually been quite um, provocative, let's say, is now very much kind of Forza Inter. Um, Do you not think Barca are watching on, getting a bit twitchy, knowing that he's got that link to them from before? Well, look, I mean, any club outside of Italy um, knows how much Mario Cardi costs. It's 110 million. That's the buyout clause. Um, so if if they want him that much, they can they can put that money into it, and Inter can't do anything about it. Michael's shaking his head vigorously. Uh, he's just a finish, isn't it? I'd hate it if he went to Barcelona. You know, they they want more technical quality. Would, up front, I think surely. in terms of teams to, to go to, I think he'll stay. Um, but I think in terms of teams that he would go to, the one where he would fit in ex- perfectly, I think, is Atletico. Mm-hmm. You need guys who, who who can put away half a chance. And that's the only chance you're going to create all the game. Boom. And, that's and they're it. only going to have that sort of money if they sell Antoine Griezmann, aren't they? So yeah. Yeah. it's unlikely, you'd think. Time now to get some odds from producer Ben, who's been speaking to Paddy Power. 
Thank you very much, Lindsay. Hello, listeners. I'm on the line with Lee Price from Paddy Power. As always, Lee, let's talk about the FA Cup. It was entirely free of shocks this weekend. We're, of course, speaking before Man U take on Chelsea. Uh, so give us the overall for the FA Cup, please. Well, Ben, Phil Foden says Man City can win the quadruple, and so does Paddy Power. His team are favourites in all four competitions now. They're 11-10 to win the FA Cup, ahead of Chelsea at 11-2 and United at 13-2. But with one of those two falling in the next round, there's surely real value in backing Lindsay's team, Wolves, who are a very tempting sounding 8-1. All right, let's turn our attention to Europe. Liverpool are taking on Bayern Munich at Anfield in probably the biggest tie of this midweek. Give us the numbers for this one, please. A tough one on paper, yes. But as the match is played at Anfield, we found it rather easy to split these two teams. Liverpool, their home advantage are evens to win the game. Bayern are 5-2 to to win the first leg and the draw is 13-2. And finally, to the big, big European competition, the Europa League. Are Arsenal going to go out and can Chelsea win it? Yeah, it was quite funny laughing at Arsenal last week, but we think they'll be having the last laugh this week. They're still odds on to progress in a huge 1-9 to to win the second leg. Uh, Barisov Bate are 5-1 to to qualify though. That's in dramatically from before the first game. As for the outright betting, Arsenal down to third favourites at 11-2. Chelsea above them at 9-2. The new favourites are Napoli at 4-1. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Well, just before we go, any other business? We've um, we've had some tweets, actually, guys. Uh, what's the murmurs around the Saudi Prince Man United takeover? This right. is from Zico. That's Zico. Not, <laughs> not the virus. It's apparently not... Basically, the Saudis met with uh, Manchester United and it was interpreted as a takeover talk, but apparently it was just a sponsorship deal meeting. Uh, so there's nothing in it, apparently. Finally, from another James, who should be in the top six for the PFA Player of the Year based on the fact we're now six months into the season? Six now, Michael, go. Well, Van Dijk will be in I'm there. making a note because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see at the end of the season. Van oh, Dijk, yes. yeah. Van Dijk, I think Hazard should be in there. Yeah. Uh Come on, Son has got to be in there, yeah, surely. Son, Son probably. Yeah. Sergio Aguero, I guess. Doherty, yeah. I'll go Matt Doherty. <laughs> uh, David Silva will be in there because he's he, he's a kind of Ryan Giggs one now. So he's getting old enough <laughs> that they'll Scott give him Park. I'll, cro- I'll cross out Doherty, <laughs> forgive me, Matt. Uh, Silva, you'll put Silva in. Yeah. Silver, yeah. How many is that, five? Uh, one, two, three, four that I've taken seriously. Have we got... I think Aguero... Do you think Aguero will be in there? Kane and Son could be in there. Aguero... Yeah, I think Aguero will be. Because Kane's missed a lot. Another Liverpool Pog. pass. You're going to go Pog, Pogba. So probably like I think Salah will be in there again. Yeah. There you are. Probably someone like Ryan Fraser if they go in a bit alternative. <laughs> we'll leave you to discuss it amongst yourselves anyway, <laughs> on your commute or wherever you're listening to the Totally Football Show. Uh, Daniel, you're going to be back for the show on Thursday. Mm. Can't keep you away. Mm. That Loughborough to London commute, keeping <laughs> you busy. Uh, yep. Alongside Pat Nevin and Alvaro Romeo, you'll be on. See, the romance of the FA Cup. That is an eclectic bunch. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Some accents on that show. (laughs) I might do an Irish one just for a laugh. We'll be tuning in just for that. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. 
that's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.